Hey everyone, you are listening to Vocalo Radio. I'm Jesse Menendez. My in-studio guest is Shepsu Ayaku. He is the playwright and executive producer of Impact Production of Black and Blue. Shepsu, thank you so much for making time. No, I appreciate you having me on. Man. Before we even get to the premise of this play and the ideas that went into creating it, let's talk about Impact first. This is an organization that you founded back in the early 90s. Tell us about the situation that birthed this organization. You going into the Wayback Machine. Absolutely. We want to get to know you. Went to school at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. Uh, it's a, a notorious uh, uh, hotbed of a lion-eye fever. And when I was going there in the mid-'80s, it was uh, an extraordinarily difficult place to go to school. Um, very isolating uh, as a kid. Raised pretty much all over the country, but you know, coming out of Chicago, uh, going down there and finding yourself in a sea of everything other, and then finding an extraordinary amount of hostility in that place and not feeling. Um, it sometimes we talk about safety. It's, man, sometimes safety is the last thing. It's just feeling like you can breathe, you know. So um, I tell people this all the time because they really don't understand the psychology behind it, but. Chief Alina Wick was a really big deal at the time. Uh, I, I, they have since retired him, though there is still controversy about bringing him back. But bringing that dude out in the middle of every sporting event told you when you were brown on that campus where you were. You were entertainment, and you were easily picked up and dismissed, and that's the place that the theater company was born. It was also a period of time when you know, there were fewer images of uh, 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 black people in, in the media. Um, t- our exposure to live theater was close to nothing. And, uh, and we were just incredibly hungry for something that authentically represented who we were. It helped that the economy was in the toilet. So all of us that had gone to school to be things like engineers and, and the like, and my mother's disappointment at my uh, medical training that was never put to use, uh, decided, okay, I can be just as broke and do theater as I was going to be unemployed in the Bush administration. So that's kind of how it all happened. How did theater grab your attention? Was it a particular play, a playwright? No, man, I came in... I came in classic student activist. I was trying to get things done on a very local, hyper local, you know, like what's going on in these in the classrooms, uh, police violence on campus, unsafe for for black students to get around, people dropping the N word, uh, spray painting it on buildings, uh, and anytime three black kids got together, it was a reason for somebody to call law enforcement. That was my reality, um, and sort of the you know the the. The craziness about campus life is that can become your entire world. Like you don't get anything to balance that. And that was definitely me. I was all in uh, student organizing and active activist work with, again, not at all alone, you know, thousands of us uh, getting the work done. And so theater became the way once you figure out that people really only want to hear you pretend to be Malcolm X for so long that you have to figure out how to start talking to people in a way that activates their empathy, connects them to your humanity and recognizes you sort of your shared experience and that brings us to black and blue the current uh, production which i can't yeah. imagine a more timely piece of art to exist there's that yeah. old adage that art imitates life yeah and right now i don't think that can be more true so before we even unpack what's going on in black and blue and we talk about the characters what was the circumstance that birthed the idea for this production? As I understand, there's some carryover from a monologue that existed in another play in yeah. Portland. The, um, well, the original birthplace, of course, is that I was raised a black male in America, and I have had, shall we say, extraordinarily difficult negotiations with law enforcement uh, for uh, a number of decades, let's put it that way. Um, 
I have a, uh, a producing partner uh, who is a former Chicago police officer who um, writes for The Shy. The television show. Yeah, exactly. So he's a police officer. So I never met him as a, as a cop. Uh, he was an actor in a show of mine 15 or so years ago. That was my relationship with him. Like I am instantly off-put by police officers. I am instantly distant uh, with all of the baggage and preconception and prejudice that comes with that. I own all of that, that bias about what that is and sort of the skewed nature of that relationship. So, I, I man, this dude is just the most amazing human being I've ever met, but I did not know he was a cop. So we were doing a show. He comes in early. I'm in a grid hanging lights. And he walks in in full uniform with a gun on his hip, which is the other thing that makes me extraordinarily uncomfortable. So now I got a cop and I got a gun in my room and I'm looking at him like, who the hell are you? And that was the beginning of our, our, our me getting to know him beyond this person speaking the words I literally put in his mouth to getting a chance to see who he is. Yeah. So let me ask you, here you have this remarkable individual right. who just happens to also have been a police officer. Right. Did that change your perception of who these people are outside of their uniform? No. No. That really? changed my perception of him. My viewpoint about police officers is hard-earned first-person experience. There's, there's, you know, I, I work very hard to attempt to judge people on an individual basis, but no, man, there's deep scarring there. I won't even pretend there's not. So you're 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 always aware of the power imbalance. You're always aware of um, the possibility for the escalation of a situation, and you're also uniquely aware of your own mortality in every engagement. With Black and Blue, right. as you mentioned, there was this desire to perhaps show the other side of the story. Mm-hmm. Here you add another layer to it. You know, we're existing in a climate in 2018 where it's Black Lives Matter, where it's no, Blue Lives Matter, right. no, it's All Lives Matter. So here you're talking about the experiences of these individuals who are in a part of town that you can say is underserved. Yeah, These officers also happen to be black. So it's this layered situation that you have going on, how do you maintain this tense relationship with the community understanding what's Mm -hmm. happened historically, but also at the same time, you yourself have this dual identity of being black and blue, if you will. What made you want to examine that paradigm? The um, so there's, there's sort of two things that, that sent, sent it off for me. One, um, the piece in Portland is, um, working very hard to put its sort of best foot forward and open up the lines of communication, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which means that there's a a lot of sort of parsing out of conversation. And it's, you know, it's the Pacific Northwest, extraordinarily polite people. Um, But it can take a minute to get to the stuff that's at the heart of something for fear of, you know, hurting feelings, ruffling ruffling feathers. And, um, And I think that has its place. But in this particular part of the art, what I discovered was um, this piece that Jay written, wrote was not going to make it into the cut for this show because it was just too raw. It was just too black men with a badge in uh, uh, his patrol area. It was Jay's personal experience and just the battle with personal self-hatred and the souring of who you are as a person. So that was part one. So I got that monologue. It wasn't going to make the Portland show, and I, I sat there with him, and I said, all right, look, man, there's a whole show here just off this monologue. We can do that. And then the next piece was a, a Portland cop, a black cop, who was talking about um, uh, 
his irritation with people um, saying that police officers are, are violent first and that they're not willing to take a beat down. That wasn't his choice of words. He used a more colorful one, but this is radio. Uh, he said they're not willing to take a beat down. Uh, and so they pull their guns all the time. And then he spoke of literally having a skull cracked open at work because he wouldn't shoot somebody. And I was like, all right. So I was ready to dig down. All right. So let's talk about going back to work. And they're cops. They don't talk about their own vulnerability. It's just not what they do. It's, it, there is very little reward for a vulnerable, exposed cop. <laughs> so that stuff gets put away. And those two things together were like, all right. So let's look at what it means to make these choices, still put on this uniform, uh, I went directly to Jay because he uh, patrolled literally in the same neighborhood I grew up in. I grew up in the South Shore community in, 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 on the south side of Chicago, at least for a time. We lived everywhere. And set that right in the middle of that neighborhood um, and the tremendous um, disparity between the haves and the have-nots uh, in that neighborhood. So, yeah, that was that was all the pieces. When you look at the production, certainly the writing aspect of it, are we supposed to gleam some sort of humanity from these officers, understand their role in this whole situation a little better? Or are we looking at how these individuals are trying their hardest to bridge this gap while at the same time being villainized for who, who they have allegiance to? Yeah, it's So it's a two-man show. So it's, it's, it's really watching the relationship between... <laughs> I'm laughing because it's funny. I've got two fabulous actors, right? So there's, uh, uh, there's Justin and Juwan that are both in the show. And we are watching the struggle on stage between these two actors as they are learning to embody these two characters. And the conversation is, are black men allowed to show deep and abiding affection for each other? And the actors are having a hard time getting past their own barriers about how they've been sort of socialized against this behavior just so they can get to the way the actual characters that they portray are having the same trouble. Uh, and in that, you recognize very quickly that you're, you're you're looking at how much it really is a story about the battle within yourself to be true to who you are and what you need to do and how sometimes your job is your worst enemy in that process. What was the challenge in presenting these two characters fully, vulnerably, but also knowing your own hangups with the police department and mm -hmm. what that signifies to you, did you have to be careful not to come off as PR for CPD? No, I'm not. I'm not PC at all. Um, and the joy of the show is they're not PC. We're sitting in there uh, again in rehearsal. This is we were just in previews this weekend, and uh, I'm, I'm talking to uh, Lauren Lundy, who's a uh, uh, company production manager, uh, managing producer, and we're talking about how frequently the N word is just dropped. And, uh, and, and and so she asked me, she says, do you think people are going to be really sensitive to the way the word is used? And I just said, I really don't care. That's two men in a car talking to each other the way some black men choose to speak to each other. And I don't need another filter on it beside that. If I want to be honest, you know, that word is used. Some people are comfortable. Some people are not. But it's still used. And my job as a playwright is just to be honest Right. So when I'm looking at these two black police officers, what I'm really looking at is what's the cost of doing the job. I'm not saying they acknowledge the imbalance of power. Uh, the whole play itself sort of takes place. Um, it's not expressly expressly, excuse me, stated in the play that it's the night that the Laquan McDonald video is dropped. But it all takes place on the night that Laquan McDonald video is dropped. And so they're two cops 
dealing with this reality of, of, of what it means for that information to be in the world, how it colors what they do, while one of them is trying to work his way back into service after having been injured on the job. What are those challenges that they themselves deal with internally? The fact that they are CPD officers that also happen to be black, keeping in mind the climate that exists. We're not interested in them. That's the biggest challenge. Um, we, as a community, as a society, generally speaking, disinterested in black men that don't play sports, uh, and particularly not interested in black police officers, right? So they are always relegated to the classic NWA stereotype of the self-hating black cop who's, you know, the black cop showing out for the white cop. And there's very little else that we as a general public tolerate in that conversation. Uh, again, they're not in the business of being vulnerable for our consumption. So they're not sitting around trying to convince you that they're anybody else. They're just swallowing that every day, all day. Some people do their jobs well. Some people do their jobs poorly. All of them pay a social price. Their families pay a price for it. Uh, uh, J. David, again, uh, J. David Shanks, after he did six years on the force, basically told me he had to quit to save his relationship and save his soul. Uh, And I said, you know, what were you required to do? And he goes, dude, it's not really about the day-to-day business of the job. It's the soul-rotting crap you have to swallow on a daily basis that changes your soul. And he couldn't stay married and be a good father and do that job every day. Well, we don't get to tell that story. We get left with, you know, and God bless the brothers, but we get left with LL Cool J and and Ice-T and that these are our black cops on television. And there's no stories about those guys on TV. They just run around, arrest people. So, you know, that's glorified in its own end. Um, but there's nothing about what it actually means to be, you know, black in a uniform, in a black neighborhood, policing the people you grew up with and trying not to lose your mind. What do we learn about how difficult that might be? Oh, Lord. That's a whole play. That, now you just you just hey man, me I'm back trying, to the I'm plug. Try, I'm trying, I'm trying to. The plug. In order to get that, you got to come see the show. Well, uh, for sure. We're going to no, see the, the show. The takeaway is that you know these people, you just don't know you know them. I mean, the truth about black cops is, you know, if they're not in uniform, you don't know. They eat at the same restaurants you eat at, uh, grocery shop where you grocery shop, take their kids to the same daycare, you know. So you you don't know that these people live with you uh, and uh, you don't see them. Uh, and I'm not speaking of cops in general. I'm speaking specifically of, you know, black cops, yeah. uh, Latino cops. You don't see them. How do yeah. black and Latino cops, specifically black yeah. cops, reconcile that fact that they I are cops? I don't know that they ever do it well, honestly. It, it's real case by case. Uh, I would love to give you some great sweeping generalization about how well. No, no, just based on your conversation. Yeah, so. man. It, I have found that the realities of when I speak with black cops about what, what their life is like and um, through this other show that I worked on and my access to a large number of white cops that their entire perspective of the world is so very different. Um, Same job, same basic responsibilities, worldview, entirely different. I resist generalizing, but I I will say that I don't really know anybody that does does the job well. Um, And I don't mean executes the functions of the job well. I mean handles the emotional burden of the job well. Uh, And uh, um, the director for the show, Andy Diamond, says to me the other day, She's talking about cop suicide, which I have to be honest, man. I, I have spent zero time thinking about it. And then she just talks about, like, you don't know how often, like, Chicago cops, you know, do that. And then nationwide. So then I looked it up and I started, you know, you have to do your research. you got to be a good scholar in the work that you're doing. And you discover, yeah, 
that's that toll's real. That toll doesn't know a racial line, and uh, and generally speaking, nobody cares. What do you want them to walk away caring about with black and blue? I just need nuance, man. That's that's the dance as a as a writer, particularly a person who writes black people. Um, we are not nuanced people in in the storytelling forms of our day. We are not nuanced in film. We're seldom nuanced in music. And the stage, quite frankly, for the opportunity that exists and the sheer number of stages, nope, we're not nuanced there nearly to the extent that I would think we should be. So that's always what you're asking for is, oh, these men are so incredibly complex and contradictory and self-destructive and sometimes self-loathing and full of love, you know, like the rest of us. I like it. That should have been the tagline. Yeah, right. Self-loathing. That's too much for a marketing Self-hatred, but also full of love. Yeah, right. Shepsu Ayaku, thank you so much for making time. The play is Black and Blue. Beautiful, man. Thanks for having me on. Mm -hmm.